Enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum. I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Today's episode number 104 of Feast Your Ears, and I'm very excited to have Patrick Martins in the studio. Patrick is the founder of Heritage Foods USA, also the founder of Heritage Radio. Uh, In 2009, he had the idea to get some shipping containers, start this station, and last year we celebrated our 10,000th episode. So thanks, Patrick, for joining us. Well, thanks. I had to wait 104 episodes. I had to finally be on your show. (laughs) It was was a scheduling. It was a scheduling. Scheduling. Uh, across from Patrick uh, is Frank R. Reese Jr. of the Good Shepherd Poultry Ranch. Frank is a fourth-generation farmer from Lindsburg, Kansas. His family raises heritage turkeys and other heritage poultry, and the lineage of some of those birds dates all the way back into the 19th century. Thanks, Frank, for coming in. Thank you. And uh, also we have Andrew DeCoriolis here, who's the program director of Farm Forward and the Good Shepherd Poultry Institute, which is the nonprofit uh, arm of the Good Shepherd Poultry Ranch, Correct. Good to be here. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Um, so uh, I would love to, to know. So, Patrick, when did you start Heritage Foods? That was in... Well, really, we met Frank. Is, Frank is the reason why we started Heritage right, Foods. Right, that's, yeah, that's the story I was trying to... I worked for Slow Food for a number of years. Their key project was the ARC project. It was a metaphorical ARC, and onto this ARC they ported foods that were on the brink of extinction, varieties of eggplants, grape varieties, but also breeds of livestock. Like Noah's Ark is the... It was the Noah's Ark, exactly. And when we came to the U.S., one of the first products that was boarded onto our U.S. Ark were heritage turkeys. And we found uh, Frank through Marion Burroughs, through some crack interns at the you know at the national office of slow food and we realized that there were all these turkeys on the brink of extinction it was a perfect arc product because you know thanksgiving is non-denominational everyone celebrates it and we were like we'll board these turkeys and we met frank we visited his farm and he was like i have all these birds that you know basically are on the brink of extinction and we need to eat them in order to save them that right. was the kind of epiphany for a lot of uh, americans you Thank you. Oh, very nice. Is that what breed is that, Frank? That's just a chicken. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> so um, anyway, eat them to save them. We met Frank, and the word heritage for the first time started to be used as a synonym to the word heirloom. Right. And uh, so we worked with Frank for three or four years. We did a turkey project. Oh, three or four years, just under the umbrella of slow food. Slow food. Well, right. it was still the umbrella of slow food, and it was a nightmare that first year. 
the turkeys, which we thought we'd average 20 pounds, were aver actually averaging like six pounds. We got huge boxes because we had no idea what we were doing. So it looked like a little pigeon in the bottom <laughs> of the box. And all these slow food members got a huge box via FedEx uh, of this little turkey. Uh, but it took off, no pun intended. And then eventually, and this is how Heritage Food started. Heritage really did start on Frank's farm, much in the same way that the organic food movement started out of Chez Panisse in 1971 in this country. All those turkey farmers, he had four or five at the time, were like, we need a more regular source of income. Because sure. many people don't know this, but naturally mating turkeys are seasonal meat. Just yep. like tomatoes are seasonal, turkeys are seasonal. Uh, the only reason we have... Uh, Thank you. Uh, what breed was that? We, the only reason we have turkey at the deli all year round is because of artificial insemination. Sure. So those turkey farmers were like, we also have heritage breeds of pigs and cows and yep. lamb. And so we're like, raise those, raise those, raise those. And what really started us was Frank. And what really powered us were restaurant chefs uh, in New York and in San Francisco. So that's how we exist. Cool. So, Frank, tell me a little bit about uh, before you met Patrick, um, how did your family come to be poultry farmers and how did you manage to make it last for so long? I feel like there's a lot we hear about, you know, small farms going out of business in this country uh, all the time. And so your family has been doing it now for four generations. How did you guys last so long? I, you know, I'm the last one of my family that is doing this. Um, I, I, I just don't think you ever thought there was any other way to live. Right. There was no other choice. It wasn't, you know, like a lot of people, you know, you went off. Although, <clears throat> I have to admit, I mean, my father told me to go to school, learn something else, so I could have another income, so I could continue to raise turkeys. Right. Um, and so that's what I did for yeah. a long time. I, you know, I worked off the farm, and so I could afford to have turkeys on my farm. Got it. So, you know, because the type of turkey farming I did uh, and, and refused to give up was not supported. Right. You know, and uh, for many years before Patrick, uh, you know, I would sell baby turkeys to people here and there. I still had a number of customers, mostly nice little old ladies who would still come to my farm every fall and buy a live turkey and have me kill it. And they went home and dressed it. Got it. You know, that's, but even that's all gone now. Right. All those type of people from the old country, don't, they've all died off. Right, sure. So, and, and everybody thinks about turkey. I think, I mean, Patrick alluded to it, you know, Thanksgiving, right, in this country is everybody wants a turkey on the table, which, of course, is somewhat unrealistic that you could have all of those birds live and fresh at the same moment. And people want it at the deli, right, which is sort but of that the rest did exist, of the... That did exist at one time. Sure, sure. You know. And so that tradition, that pictorial picture yeah. that the industry still likes to put out there, these farm fresh turkeys, which are no longer farm fresh turkeys, yeah. but anyway, uh, it comes from the nostalgia. Yeah. How many varieties of turkeys do you raise? I have six. Six. Six varieties. Um, there are eight that were accepted by the American Poultry Association as standard bread, the real name for heritage. Um, and but there was five originals uh, that were brought in as purebred back in 1873, and I have four of those five originals. I do not keep the slate, the gray-colored turkey, Got but it. I do have the other four. And do you have a favorite to raise uh, based on the animals themselves? Like, are there tur do you find certain breeds have different uh, personal characteristics? Are they nicer? Are they happier? Are they easier to? 
you know, turkeys or whatever you have, whether they're white or red or black or bronze or whatever, they are the product of the farmer. The color of the feathers isn't going to change the taste of the turkey nor the attitude of the turkey. Uh, It's what I decide to choose. I'm the the keeper right. uh, of the quality of that animal and the quality of its life. And there's multiple things that cause that turkey to taste different, to act different, and everything. Um, so no, now if I if you if you're talking about what do I want to make sure is the most important to preserve, sure. would be the bronze, the That's old it. standard bred bronze, uh, because they carry the key to everything. They are the originals. They have all their the the genetics carries the key to make a Narragansett, to make a bourbon uh, red, to make a white turkey. Your modern industrial factory turkeys, their ancestors fifty, sixty years ago was the bronze. I see. He actually says that all the heritage breed turkeys taste very similar. It is ju- it's their genetics that are important, but that it is just a color. A feather difference, sure. and that there's not really as much as gastronomes would like to think right. that uh, you know each turkey tastes different or each chicken tastes different. Um, well, yeah. the, the feeding, the feeding, and and the care. I think. I mean, you know, there's a lot of evidence, obviously, and I, I mean, I think Patrick, you would probably agree with this to support that same thing being true of lamb, right? You could have the same breed of lamb mm-hmm. raised by three different farmers, mm-hmm. and depending on what's growing in the field that they're eating and how they're treated on the farm, the meat's going to taste different. So for sure, exactly for sure. true. That's very true. Extremely true with turkeys, and in fact, they've even proven that scientifically. You know, you could get my bronze turkeys from three different farms, and they, they're and part of the other thing I think a lot of people forget is stress. Uh, how much stress that animal is under? Is it overcrowded? Is it sick? If it's extremely cold or wet weather, all those things affect just like for us. Sure. Um, how well that animal grows, how yeah. well. You know, and also the other thing that they very well know is is uh, the trucking, um, taking it to slaughter. At the, how much stress was on under when it was killed, and things like that. So, but it starts way back with the egg. Right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it all does. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of where everything <laughs> starts. <laughs> um, I'm I'm interested to know. So, Patrick, you mentioned that when you first started working with Frank and turkeys and and slow food, that you had these sort of size. Uh, mm-hmm. Problems, right? Yes. Uh, how how do you mitigate that now? I mean, obviously the consumer still, right? Even someone who's probably a regular customer of Heritage Foods still has this idea that they need a certain size bird. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, I you know, having run a butcher shop in my life, I you know, ran into this when we were working with Heritage turkeys and working mm-hmm. with other Heritage animals. That people, you know, sometimes the cut or the animal or the size doesn't meet with the customer expectation. Exactly. Well, it is just to defend the heritage turkey, which has a high breastbone and a smaller breast. Frank did show me Norman Rockwell's famous turkey shot, and it's a heritage bird. Sure, absolutely. It does not have a huge round breast. So we truly do sell the Norman Rockwell turkey. Yeah, absolutely. Some people are surprised. Also, Frank's turkeys, just before I answer your question, have a higher percentage of dark meat. It's about 50-50, yeah. whereas a commodity bird is about 70-30. I mean, I actually prefer Frank's birds to a commodity turkey. I mean, I you know I like the dark meat. I like to cook it differently. I like to braise yeah. it. But so. yeah. You're a gastronome. So, you know, the size thing was hard. We always thought that we needed to service 
our chefs and our customers in the way bigger companies would, even though we were small. Right. So we never believed in you'll get your turkey will be between 10 and 15 pounds or 15 and 20 pounds. No, we needed to offer two pound increments. People still get upset and be like, I got a 10.2. I'm supposed to get 10 to 12. I'm like, we still fulfilled our promise. Whereas right. if it's a 9.9, .9, you have to credit them because you right. didn't give them what they right. asked for. Right. So we're very proud of that. The way we basically do it is we grow enough turkeys so that we have a margin of error. Yeah. Now, we have a relationship, as with all of our farmers, where we have to buy 100% of what the farmers raise. So that puts a lot of pressure on heritage foods to a have enough turkeys yeah. to be able to fulfill each weight range and uh, you know have enough turkeys to fulfill but each But also rate. to be able to move through that product. Exactly. I mean, you are, you're really putting yourself under a lot of pressure because you want to do the work of supporting the farmer. Now the dirty truth, the real Nick uh, behind the scenes truth is that restaurant chefs are wholesale customers who buy three to 4,000 turkeys a year. You can bump them up or down a weight range sure who you can never bump down up or down a weight range is the mail order customer sure. you can possibly bump them up but you can never bump them down <laughs> right um so the mail order customers, take note those of you listening who want to start a heritage meat <laughs> yes. distribution company well though my two advice for anyone starting heritage or even just small company is a you know Always hold yourself up to the highest standards, not the lowest. And then always have a commodity outlet. And everything you might be doing is against commodity, but you need that dumping ground first mm. before you start anything. Because having a bunch of frozen inventory is what's really going to sink you. Not having as good a year or as good a season, you can survive. Right. But um, anyway, so. I won't tell the chefs that you just called them a dumping ground. A dumping ground. No, no, no. The chefs are not. <laughs> that is what, yeah, he's not talking. About no, that. no. I'm saying, you know, that it might be a supermarket or it might be a place I for see. all the cuts or, you know, Got somebody it. might get a sale. Um, yeah. yeah. But, Very uh, early on when I was in Washington and spoke with the National Turkey Federation and I met the head of Liberty Foods. A lot of people haven't heard of it. Liberty Foods is the largest producer of turkey meat in the world. And they were very nice to me. And he came up to me and he says, you will not survive unless you find a market for value-added product. Right. And Tell them the story of the value-added, the $10 <laughs> a pound versus the five. That's a fascinating. Well, you know, what Patrick was talking about those first few years where all of a sudden he was stuck with four and five, six-pound turkeys, we hadn't learned all these lessons yet. And I was... He wanted so many turkeys, and so I hatched him, and I was doing it all on my own. I was growing on my own. I didn't have other farmers, and I didn't understand. And so we sent everything, and when they started killing turkeys, there was probably 15, 20% of them that were underweight. And, and so and we had not understood or knew what to do with that. Now, when he gets turkeys that are under 8 pounds, they're cut up. And he has developed a market for ground turkey and turkey sausage and, and all these value-added products. What's your average now per turkey versus... 17, 18 pounds. Unbelievable. That's true good genetics. And when you started, it might have been 10 or 12 pounds. No, it wasn't that so much, Patrick, is, is that I hadn't built the breeder stock large enough to be able to get all my turkeys hatched out before May 15th. I, I see. see. Yeah. So what was happening with that first year, he was still buying turkeys that were hatched in July. They were too young, And the, so they were just tiny, and they were just too young. Yeah. Now we know which dove is the way it was in this country up until 1960. 
Um, all turkeys have to be hatched between before May 15th. All turkeys have to be t at least 24 weeks of age. For the toms to reach that standard average weight of 20 pounds and for the hens to reach a standard average weight of 10 to 12, the same as it was 50, 60 years ago. My mm -hmm. birds are the same as they were 100 years ago. Right. We just had to learn how to play those market games. Sure. So it's mm -hmm. managing on the other side. It's yes. not the birds themselves that are and, small. Tell and them about the obesity gene, too, that the big factory farms have genetically put into the supply to assure that all of their birds are huge. Well, that was the results of people, you know, wanting, and really most of the reasons why we have the chickens we have today or the turkeys we have today isn't the consumer. It was the grocery stores. It was the food chains. It was the big guys that got behind the poultry industry and said, we want 10 million chickens in our Safeway grocery store, and they must all look the same. Right. They, you don't, they, all, they didn't want a whole case with different sizes. Yeah, it all had to be the same. We, we can no longer have biodiversity. We can no longer have to deal with what Patrick's had to deal with. Uh, and so science came in. Yep. And one of the things that happened, it happened first with chickens before turkeys, when turkeys soon followed, is, is they were able to find various genetic mutations that cause various things to happen. And one of those was the OS, the obese gene strain uh, that affected the thyroid and affected lots of things. And so these modern industrial genetics grow 300 times faster than my chickens, not because of hormones, not because of antibiotics, not any of this. It is they have been genetically selected right. through selective breeding, through multiple mutations to do this. And even because I've done this, I've worked with the University of Arkansas to raise turkeys for them for testing. And, and, and I did it also with uh, the Cobb 500s, where I brought those so-called slower growing birds to my farm and raised them. And they still grew 300 times faster than <laughs> mine. So that's hard to, for us to compete with sometimes, right. you know, uh, but. Our advantage is, is that if you can ever get the person to eat it. They can get them to taste it, and they go, "Wow!" You know those comments about, "I've always hated dark meat, and now yeah. I love it." <laughs> sure. When he it brings up um, an interesting point. You know, we were saying earlier we did a, another interview with the top brass at HRN. Actually, if you're humane and care about animals, we should be pro-antibiotic on factory farms because of how fast those animals are pushed <laughs> to grow. We should also be anti-slow growth which is a marketing mechanism mm -hmm. now, some of these bigger companies to say, right. oh, we like, why? Why prolong a, a miserable life? Yep. Um, you know, so anyway, it's interesting. Sometimes we, our heart's in the right direction, but we should actually probably be arguing the opposite of what we do. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I love turkey. I, you know, I don't eat it as often as I probably should. I, you know, I, of course, eat it on Thanksgiving often and then maybe one or two other times a year. I think from a, you know, just from a life of being a, being a cook and a consumer of them, I always think of turkeys when I'm thinking of a big meal. Do you think, Frank or Patrick, uh, or both of you, each of you, that there would be or could be a market for smaller turkeys that would be consumed very similarly to the way we consume chickens? Individual size turkey? Well, not individual size, but, you know, <laughs> like the six pounder that you're talking about, yeah, right? So that like point. tonight, if I could, you know, go and say, all right, I'm going to have a heritage turkey for dinner instead of a chicken. What you're talking about, I'm sorry, not new. 
Oh, I'm sure it's This not. push has happened a number of times within the industry. Basically, uh, back in the late 40s, um, Dr. Marsden, uh, who, is, who I consider the, the great godfather of quality heritage turkeys, um, they developed s- uh, some new varieties like the Jersey Buff for that very purpose you're talking about. Um, they, they tried very hard to get the consumer to buy a dressed turkey that dressed out four, four and a half pounds. And, and my mother, you know, we, of course we had our own turkeys. We never bought them. Sure. Uh, but my mother would do that. She would select a smaller one. And yeah, she'd select a few small ones. And maybe they had a crooked feet or something. And she would process them and she'd cut them up. And let me tell you, it's phenomenal fried turkey. I bet. It's I mean, breaded I, and it just like a fried chicken, yeah. pan-fried chicken, yeah. only you use pan-fried turkey. Sure. But that never caught on. Interesting. I mean, you know, the consumer for some reason just didn't see turkey as something you cut up and fried. Sure. Now, what the industries had to do to compensate that for today, because all Tom turkeys are turned into value-added products. If any turkey you buy at the grocery store is not a Tom. And the reason they did that was brilliant. Now, they figured out how to raise turkeys all year round, 20, you know, 12 months out of the year. And it's you you, you got to sell that deli meat, that yeah. turkey ham, that turkey bacon, that, tur- that ground turkey, that turkey hamburger, because there's so much more money to be made. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I you know, before I came in, you were recording another show, and I was standing outside in the in the... The control booth, and I overheard you say that your turkeys have been uh, are able to be labeled as heart healthy. Is that right? Yes. So uh, you know, no, so, no. Now there, that's the chickens. Oh, the chickens. We've I'm never sorry. had the turkey. Now Andrew and Farm Forward has you know mentioned if you maybe we need to do you know it was expensive. Right. Farm Forward had to pay a lot of thousands, many thousands of dollars to have that study done on the chicken. Got it. But you're right. Dr. Elizabeth Boyle, the head of the Department of Meat at Kansas State University, actually personally told me, she says, you could actually put heart healthy on your chicken. They had never seen it before. Our chickens had a a perfect lipid profile, which means a balance that is healthy for your heart between omega-3s and omega-6. And that's not because of what we fed them. That's what's hard for the industry. The industry tries to feed that. Sure. Into Fish their chickens or, things, yeah. or, you know, these into their eggs, you know, omega-3 yep. eggs. Yeah. But we don't have to do that. Right. If you let Mother Nature do it, it'll happen naturally and it'll happen far better. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens with heritage chickens. We've not mm-hmm. had that study done with turkeys. Mm-hmm. I would think you would probably get the same results. Sure. I mean, and, and I mean, what I'm thinking then, Patrick, is that would give someone like Heritage Foods an opportunity maybe, say, to sell these smaller birds and say this is a, you know, because people, my sense is that people are ordering things like a turkey sandwich instead of, say, a ham sandwich because they believe or they read mm-hmm. somewhere that it's healthier somehow, right? Even yeah. though the meat is just as processed, it has just as much sodium, it has just as much stuff in it. Right, right, right. And then maybe it wouldn't be so much of a seasonal animal too, right? Because right? you could have four, five, six pounders going around easier than you can 15, 18 pounders. No, it's a really, really interesting thing. I mean, we are competing now with all these home delivery services, the Blue Aprons, you know, which is providing everything boneless and ready to go. So, uh, 
you know, it does rely on an educated consumer yeah. to debone a turkey and all of that. But, you know, hopefully it moves in that direction. We actually kept aside some six-pounders, if you recall, two years ago. The bad news is they packaged it with the eight to ten pounders. <laughs> so I had to go through every single box, every box. <laughs> one by one and pull out the smaller birds. But uh, those six pounds are excellent for. In fact, the company who makes the deep fry, you know, the big fryers for yeah, turkey frying, sure. they actually came and got a bunch of six, seven pounders because it made it perfect for deep frying. Sure, and much faster. Oh, yeah, much faster. They could deep fry those turkeys in no time. Hey, Harry, we bought you. This is something Frank just made. It just goes to show how many varieties of chickens they are on his farm. And look at that top one. It's of, uh, no, on the other page. The modern game. The modern game. Oh, wow. Talk about an unprofitable-looking chicken for the industry. (laughs) That has, like, no meat on it. And yet many parts of the world... That is their chickens. Because that particular shape that looks so odd to us and looks worthless market-wise can survive in the high humidity and the jungles of the world that our big heavy birds wouldn't last two days. Right, right. You could never raise them. Yeah. So those birds are, are, are look like they do because of how they evolved out yep. of their own environment. Yeah. yeah, we actually see a lot of possibility for heritage birds in... Uh, in the developing world where there are lots of places who still have indigenous breeds that look, you know, more like the, you know, Enconos and others that that you see on that list. And, um, you know, our, our hope is that in places like India, where factory farms are rapidly expanding and where the industry has really focused most of their attention, that there are enough farmers still raising heritage birds and keeping them that we can build an industry that will hopefully, you know, either outcompete or w- compete enough to slow the expansion of factory farming. Whereas here in the U.S., we have, you know, 50 years of established right, factory right, farming, right. and we have to reintroduce heritage, which is in some ways is a much harder, harder thing to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, as Frank pointed out, you know, the people who used to come to the farm who would, you know, buy a turkey while it was still alive and have you process it and then take it home and know what to do with it, those people don't exist here, but in somewhere like India or other places of the developing world, they're doing that now, right? So the the foothold of the industrial agriculture isn't fully there yet. Yeah, I mean, in places like uh, you know East Africa and India, if you go to a market, uh, you, often you will find both industrial and traditional breeds, and consumers will pay you know twice as much for industrial breed because they think it's the normal chicken. It's the bird that. You know, uh, you see, it, it's the bird you see in movies. TV. Well, no, no, it's it's no, no. They'll pay they'll pay for the heritage. Oh, they pay for because, the heritage. Yeah, yeah because yeah. it's it's the bird that tastes good. It's the bird that tastes like right. what they remember. And so they actually, you know, the the commodity bird is the one that uh, you know they they choose not to buy uh, because it doesn't taste right. It doesn't look right. Yeah. Well, ho- hopefully the heritage foothold can be maintained. We're going to take a short break uh, and hear from one of our sponsors here at Heritage Radio. Think about what it takes to swim a coastline longer than the entire eastern seaboard and leap tall waterfalls in a single bound. What does it take to survive 200 feet deep in icy saltwater? What would you be made of? Wild Alaska seafood is made of tight muscle mass, long chain omega-3s, and incredible micronutrients. It matters where your food comes from. Experience the flavor of the fittest in every bite and enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. Ask for Alaska on the menu, grocery store, or smart device. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. 
food and travel. They go hand in hand. And chances are, if you're a fan of Heritage Radio Network, you love them both. Between April 10th and 24th, we have six incredible food and travel experiences up for auction at CharityBuzz.com. Go on an underground food tour of New Orleans with a rocket scientist. Get your hands on VIP passes to Feast Portland or enjoy a ranch-to-table experience in wine country. Four of the experiences include hotel stays at some of the most iconic properties across the country, including the newly reopened Hotel Claremont in Atlanta. Now's your chance to win the ultimate bourbon and beyond weekend in Lexington or take in a Latin food tour of New York's outer boroughs. You'll eat, drink, explore, and relax, all while supporting Heritage Radio Network. Help us keep the lights on and the mics hot. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash auction and bid now. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum. If you're just joining us, uh, we have a new addition to the studio. Emily Pearson from Heritage Foods has joined us. Uh, I, in the studio, I have Patrick Martins, who's the founder of Heritage Foods USA. I have Frank R. Reese Jr. of the Good Shepherd Poultry Ranch and also Andrew DeCoriolis, Program Director of Farm Forward and the Good Shepherd Poultry Institute. Before the break, we were talking about a wide variety of topics related to heritage turkeys, heritage chickens, uh, sort of where the the market is going. And uh, Emily, since you've just joined us, uh, can you tell us about sort of you're in charge of the the marketing of and the sales of these birds, right? So I work on the the wholesale side of heritage foods. So we are dealing with um, chefs and butcher shops and, you know, a a smaller retail market from the wholesale perspective around the country. Um, So Catherine runs our mail order division, which is where we've had longtime fans of of Frank Reese and his birds. Um, And also on the wholesale side, um, we were very fortunate enough this year to have a, a larger number of turkeys available to us. And so we really... Uh, made our chefs happy uh, and filled some last-minute orders for for eager Thanksgiving eaters. Um, it's it's a lot about education. It's a lot about the the chef and and the front of house staff being able to present to their customer what it is that they're eating and why it's important to eat a, a heritage bird and and how it differs. Um, so I think it, it really goes back to I, I missed the first half of the conversation. I'll have to tune in on radio, um, but I think it really goes back to to educating the customer and and educating the. The, the restaurant staff. Yeah. How, how do you find that your uh, your restaurant customers and chefs are using the turkeys sort of year-round? What kind of dishes are they putting them into? So, um, Union Square Cafe? Yeah, Union Square Cafe sent me a note uh, on Monday asking for a, an extra delivery of turkeys this week, which they got this morning um, because they were running, uh, are running this week, uh, a turkey club sandwich on the lunch menu. Nice. Um, and then, you know, a, a local restaurant here. Uh, Momo Sushi down the, Shack, your yeah. boy Phil. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Momo Sushi, we, we think we have converted them from the standard chicken wing to the turkey wing and turkey uh, drum. You get two um, instead of four because the turkey is like three times the size. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're, we're seeing a, a wide variety of ideas, especially in the off season or the right. outside of Thanksgiving, Christmas, holiday time. Right. And I think that's really special. And it's nice for people to, to think outside the box a little bit about how else to use turkey besides on a sandwich 
a deli sandwich. Yeah. You know? And from a marketing scheme, we're really promoting the fact that Frank is going to have one of his busiest times on the farm right now. It's yeah. hatching. Right. And, uh, you know, really bringing people into that conversation. Um, you know, turkey season really is going all year round. We're also really happy. You know, one of the things that challenged Frank to grow more turkeys this year is we were all kind of getting annoyed that people who crossbred heritage breeds were getting away with confusing the public and saying, oh, you know, our turkeys are real heritage and they only right. cost two ninety nine a pound. Yeah, watering down. And we're like, how's that possible? You can't charge a heritage turkey two ninety nine a pound. That's impossible. And so Frank was like, that's it. I'm, I'm going to raise more. And like, for instance, this year, Byright Family of Markets in San Francisco is switching over to the, her the true heritage. Fatted Calf. Um, has been buying for years, uh, Union Square, Gramercy Tavern, Del Posto, you know, all these restaurants are now starting to have the supply available to them where they didn't. They always have to supplement with a commodity bird. Right. Uh, just because to of meet the their sheer demand. volume of yes. real heritage that was right. available. So how many, how many turkeys will you hatch this year on the farm, Frank? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, farming is something, you know, you, you just hope it doesn't rain, that yeah. type of thing. Um, we got to get 10,000 out, you know, to try, you know, because you just got to comp, you got to keep back breeders, you know. <clears throat> so when, you, when I say 10,000 turkeys, that doesn't mean we're going to send 10,000 turkeys to Patrick. Right. But because I have a, a, a natural, normal farm system where I have turkeys that get old and they die and they naturally, you know, all this kind of stuff, you have to constantly replace and replenish and improve. And so you hatch out about two or three thousand more than we will send off for Thanksgiving to keep back for the next year, the next generation. Sure. So and that's that, as great a skill, picking which turkeys, chickens stay as the breeding. You always improving the line. I mean, it's not like everything stays the same. It's always being improved. Right. That's the real art. If, the, if you could say that, right, and being a breeder. Well, yeah, and, you know, what's been very nice, the turkeys have literally led the way to this. You know, people were willing to pay more for that special turkey that one time a year on that special day. And that, you know, and we can't, we can't say how important that was because the turkeys have literally paved the way for everything else. Yeah. And so, and now we're doing something much, much more difficult and that's the chicken. Mm. And I've known forever the chicken was going to be di more difficult uh, because it has become a, it's, you know, the, the industry's done a wonderful job of, it, it's, it's cheap food. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, uh, Harry, do you know where the turkey comes from? The turkey we eat today, do you know its, uh, its history? I don't. Really? I just found out today the whole history. Do you want the 10-second let's, let's, history? Let's have the Frank, have give it. us. Yeah. Well, tell us what is the turkey the Americans know. Okay, well, the, the, the turkey that I have, the, you know, our domestic turkey, I always tell people, the Native Americans, especially in the South and Mexico, Central America, they've had domesticated turkeys for thousands of years. But in 1492, Columbus came, he actually went into Mexico, not America, in Central America. He got a bunch of turkeys from the natives there. He took them to Portugal, gave them to the king. They were a huge hit. They got spread through... Spain, Portugal, and then the, the Pope got some, and then they went to England, and then the people from England, the pilgrims, brought turkeys with them on their boats. Got it. Back to New England, to New York. So that this is where it happened. Years or so, then it came. They came back. Well, there was a gentleman upstate New York 
because the turkeys that they brought from Europe are very tiny compared to what we have today, even my turkeys. They crossed them with some wild turkeys up around Niagara, and that became the foundation. Uh, they called them back then, like in my great-grandfather's book, they were called the mammoth bronze. Uh, they went from being breeding age of 27, 28 pounds, they jumped them up to 36 pounds. So that's the foundation, and that's the way all domesticated turkeys on farms were until about 1960. Yeah. Hmm. So, Andrew, tell me a little bit about uh, Farm Forward and, and what the Good Shepherd Poultry Institute uh, is is doing to kind of, I guess, spread that information. Sure. So Farm Forward is a 10-year-old nonprofit that was founded to promote conscientious food choices that reduce uh, farmed animal suffering, you know. And from the very beginning, actually, the sort of genesis of Farm Forward was our founder, Aaron Gross, uh, working with Jonathan Saffron Ford to write this book, Eating Animals. And in the book, uh, Frank plays a prominent role. And so as part of the research of that book, we, we were introduced to Frank. And he, he convinced us, you know, 10 years ago that within the poultry industry, the real linchpin, uh, the thing that keeps, you know, the commodity industry running is genetics. And it's also, you know, the source of the most animal suffering. And so for the last 10 years, we've been uh, you know, working with the public, with policymakers, with institutional buyers, with farmers to try and reform uh, how poultry are raised in America. And uh, the work has, has continued with Frank, and, and now we're partnering with him on the Good Shepherd Poultry Institute, which is all about trying to uh, preserve genetics and, and educate farmers and reintroduce uh, heritage uh, poultry and, and production systems uh, back into the mainstream, so to consumers and to chefs and to policymakers and everyone else who plays a role in shaping uh, what the farmed animal industry looks like. Awesome. Well, we're just about out of time, um, but I want to make sure that I get all of the information out to people. So if people are interested to see more about Frank's farm, uh, goodshepherdpoultryranch.com uh, is where you should check out on the internet. Uh, and if you happen to be, I guess, in Lindsburg, Kansas, you could stop by, perhaps, if you call, call ahead. Yeah, he sure. encourages random strangers to stop <laughs> no, at random times. I do not. <laughs> uh, if you call ahead, say that you heard yeah. about Frank yeah, exactly. on Feast Your Ears. Uh, GoodShepherdPoultryInstitute.org uh, to find out more about the work that Andrew is doing. And if you want to order some of these delicious, excellent, wonderful heritage breed turkeys for yourself uh, to eat, HeritageFoodsUSA.com. Really, we promote, look for the American Poultry Association seal of approval. That is the good housekeeping seal of approval for heritage breeds. Without that, uh, without that certification, it's really just a word. And that's actually a battle that Farm Forward, Heritage Foods, Good Shepherd is trying to fight to preserve that word. So many small kind of movements have gotten their words stolen. Sure. Uh, right. Our look friend at, Winona LaDuke, who we were at the Good Food yep. Awards together, you and me, Harry, and we heard her talk about how wild rice, the word yep. wild was taken. Yep. Um, I mean, look at the word organic. Yep. Natural. You know, none of those words means anything, but we could draw the line at heritage and say that word keeps is staying. And the yep. definition for heritage is, you know, pre-1950. There's no, we like to say at Heritage, there's no such thing as a new Bible hero. You cannot just add a new heritage. It either is or it isn't. It's only four Beatles, plus that drummer, maybe five. What about Yoko? Uh, 
Five. Still five. <laughs> Not a beetle. Oh, nice. You have is that your Yoko Ono port thing? She needs another sound effect. She's an artist. Every, everyone Everyone's pissed off at Yoko Ono. I I, I all I said was, what about Yoko? I, I feel like she was an important about. part of the work the Beatles did. I had no, there was nothing negative in my comment. Your show had three sound effects, poultry, <laughs> a couple of poultry, and Yoko Ono sound effects. Well, first, heritage first. We can add some more in in post. <laughs> uh, thank you, everybody, for thank joining you. me today on Feast Your Ears. Uh, you can find Feast Your Ears, as well as lots of other great shows and maybe a couple of poultry uh, at heritageradionetwork.org on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts and take a moment to like the show. Uh, you can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com and you can follow me on social media at the Foodballer. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>